Hi, folks. This is Jason Crane asking for your help in the fight against cancer. As you probably know by now, I'm riding my bike at the end of the month in the Lance Armstrong Foundation's Live Strong Challenge Ride in Philadelphia. And I need your help to raise money to meet my goal. I'm very, very close, uh, and small donations from a bunch of you would help me make it over my goal. Here's what you do. Go to thejazzsession.com, and on the left side, you'll see a scrolling list of the people who have donated and the word donate below it. You can click on that, or you can click on the enormous banner ad right below that from the Lance Armstrong Foundation. For every $5 you donate, you get entered into a raffle that will be uh, drawn on August 31st, and that will enable you to win fantastic prizes such as concert tickets for a uh, Kenny Barron, Mulgrew Miller duet performance, which also includes a show by the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra. You can see Dave Brubeck. You can win autographed CDs, LP reissues, a huge box of CDs from Braithwaite and Katz, music promoters, and many, many other prizes. So uh, go to thejazzsession.com right now. Click on either the banner ad that says Pick a Fight uh, with Cancer or click on the Donate button on the upper left. It'll take you to the donation page, and for every 5 bucks, you get a raffle ticket. Thank you for helping me fight cancer. Thank you for listening to this program. And now, on with the show. Hit it, Ted. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The Jazz Session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. This week's guest is trumpeter Terrence Blanchard. From his new recording, Choices, this is Bias. See, one of the things about me as a um, uh, intellectual is that I've never been impressed just with smartness and braininess. It's never. That wisdom is qualitatively different than smartness, and uh, maturity is qualitatively different than braininess. So I'm not against smartness and braininess. It just falls so radically short of wrestling with what it means to be human and making the right mature choices in life as a person, as a society, as a civilization. And so I love your question having to do with spirituality because in the end, the choice that I made as to what kind of human being I wanted to be was profoundly informed by persons who deeply loved me and had a love of others.
My guest is Terence Blanchard, composer, trumpet player, band leader, uh, film composer, and uh, it's a real, real pleasure for me to have you here. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. Uh, the new album um, is Choices, mm-hmm. and uh, you said that in this album you really want to spotlight some of the positive progress that's happening in New Orleans, yes. uh, as opposed to just focusing on the things that went wrong. What, what in your mind are some of those positive changes that are happening these days? Well, well, obviously the first thing is that I saw on CNN that we are one of the largest growing cities in the country right now, which is a very positive thing in and, in and of itself. But then there are a lot of other programs that are happening that are really great. Uh, in the art world, where which is my area of expertise, we've gotten a chance to bring the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz to New Orleans, which um, can exist anywhere, basically, but we've always had a strong commitment to community service. So we've been sending our kids into the middle schools and the high schools, trying to inspire young kids to get into music and get into jazz specifically. And we've had a great, great response to that. I've uh, been partnering with um, the... Lieutenant Governor and some other folks, along with the National Park Service, they've been re- they've been revamping national parks all around the country. Well, New Orleans doesn't have a national park; its park is virtual. So, uh, the National Park Service, <clears throat> along with the Lieutenant Governor Mitch Landrieu, has agreed to create uh, a jazz space in the U.S. Mint, which is one of the oldest mints in the country. Um, and uh, what we're going to do is we're taking the third floor and we're going to create this high-tech uh, first-class performance space that's actually modular. It'll have about maybe seven or eight different configurations uh, uh, for performance uh, uh, stylings, I guess, if you will. Uh, and then on the second floor of the building, we're going to create a jazz museum. Uh, and then there, there are a host of other programs, too. There's the National Music uh, Initiative uh, which is part of the Obama administration's thing in terms of education. That's up in, and uh, uh, well, it's not up and running yet. They're hoping to start in the fall. But that program is designed to bring great music uh, students, uh, uh, hopefully teachers. I'm sorry, who have just graduated from either graduate programs or undergrad programs, who are willing to commit to New Orleans for maybe two years to work in the school systems and help uplift the uh, music education in the city. And that's just a few of the things that are happening on the music side. We're, we're not even a year into the, the new administration yet, but are you mm-hmm. seeing uh, kind of in the cultural landscape of New Orleans an effect of the new administration? Is it? Well, when you talk about the music, music initiative, that's exactly what, you know, what you're talking about. Um, because this initiative is designed to go straight at the issue of music education in the city. You know, uh, I don't see another program like it. You know, I mean, the closest thing we have to it is what we do with the Monk Institute. Uh, but this program here is designed to take students and not put them put them together as a band, but to take them once they graduate and have them sign a two-year commitment to New Orleans to be, you know, assigned to specific schools to teach. You know, the target is to maybe take six, just like the Monk Institute, to take maybe six to eight uh, graduates uh, every two years. So it sounds like kind of a, a Teach for America, but exactly. right at in New Orleans, exactly. specified in New Orleans. Exactly. That's exactly. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, your work with the Spike Lee documentary, and then which then it became a tale of God's will, and now with Choices, do you feel like you've kind of taken on a role as a as a 
cultural and even beyond cultural spokesman for your city? Well, I think we, we've had no choice. <laughs> you know, it's not like I wanted to. <laughs> you know, I, I would prefer just to play music. But we really haven't had a choice. I mean, in the aftermath of Katrina, we just felt like we were so overlooked. You know, and even when everything was brought to everyone's attention, there were still a lot of negative things said about the city in terms of whether the city should be rebuilt, just the general handling of the entire thing from all three levels of government. Um, it just made you feel like somebody has to say something or do something. So all of us in the arts community, the educational community, everybody, we've all been doing what we can. You know, I have a friend of mine, Dr. Andre Perry, who works and uh, works at UNO and is, and is uh, head of all of these uh, school systems, the school system in New Orleans where he works with a certain number of uh, high schools. He's been doing a lot of great work in terms of raising the level of, of, of the teachers there, making them aware of what's really needed in a city uh, that's rebuilding a community, and he's been having a great effect. Um, so, and, that's, and he's become a spokesman as well. I think, actually, he was interviewed on uh, Soledad O'Brien's uh, Black in America, I think. None of us have set out to say, you know, well, we're going to pick up the mantle. It just kind of happened that way because of our passion and love for the city. Uh, I know that uh, Dr. Cornell West appears uh, on the new record. Can you talk about how that came about? Well, it came about uh, because when I started thinking about doing this album, you know, I talked, I've been talking to Herbie Hancock a n- number of times about certain uh, things. One of them is the whole title, Choices. Uh, he's the one that put me on this path of thinking about this because when I started working at the Monk Institute, I would have these conversations with him and he would hear me beat myself up a bit about certain things that I may have done or may have not done musically. And he would say, look, man, it's just a choice. You make a choice and you move on. He said, don't beat yourself up. There are no wrong choices, you know, in the world of art. So I started thinking about how that related to, to my life you know, as a human being, as a father, a husband, friend, the whole nine, and then how it relates to a community. You know, the, the ill choices that we've made during Katrina, uh, the choices that we've made as a country in electing certain officials, which put our country in a predicament where we got to the point where we could elect an African-American American to the highest office. So uh, I wanted to be able to have a debate about those things and thought that I should at least raise those topics um, and I initially thought about doing it through song, but um, I didn't want to go that route of writing melodies and lyrics and finding a lyricist. I really wanted to go the route of spoken word. I thought it would be more to the point and you know, give us a chance to do something a little different uh, on this album. And once that thought came across my mind, Dr. West was, a, I mean, come on, he's the, first, he's the first person I thought of, you know. I mean, you know, and I thought it was kind of... Uh, uh, interesting in that once we called him, he immediately jumped at it. And uh, he was extremely gracious, a wonderful person, a uh, beautiful soul, brilliant mind. And uh, I spent an hour with him in Princeton in his office, and we videotaped it. And what you hear on the CD is, uh, are basically excerpts from that conversation. And uh, just being around him for an hour, man, was a, was was really a very illuminating and life-changing experience in a way. You know, How so? Can you say more about that? 
Well, when you see somebody who, who, is, who is so well-versed in so many topics, but not well-versed in the sense of being able to regurgitate, you know, numbers and facts, but be able to assimilate all of those things into to some very concrete ideas, you know, and, and, and be able to convey that to you in a manner that's readily easy for, for most people to, to digest is totally amazing. And it seems to be inspired from a, a point of purity and 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 uh, uh, truth in terms of search for what the ultimate ultimate truth is. I consider myself a jazz man in the world of ideas, a blues man in the life of the mind, because my models, jazz musicians and blues men, who have to find their voices, not just be echoes. We had to have a vision, not just a stare. And in the end, have to be true to themselves. Because all imitation is suicide. All emulation is a sign of an adolescent mind. Now, all of us imitate, all of us emulate. But the ones who love us, the way Monk loved Coltrane, you don't need to imitate Johnny Hodges. Go on and find your voice, brother. Talk about uh, New Orleans uh, Center for the Creative Arts and what's, oh, NOCA, uh, yeah. Yeah, what's happening there. Well, New Orleans Center for the Creative Arts is an arts high school that we all uh, went to, all of us from New Orleans, Branford, Winton, Harry Connick, myself, Donald Harrison. Um, it's a great art school. It's still pumping out great students. Uh, we, we, you know, those of us who went to the school in my generation, we're a little jealous, jealous because when we went to NOCA, man, it was in a broke-down <laughs> <laughs> broke down building. <laughs> there was no AC. The practice rooms were extremely hot. Man, these guys have moved in a few years ago. They moved into a $22 million facility. Man, it has a recording studio, video production. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, it's it's still a great program, man. I mean, their devotion to arts education has been amazing. You know, and we've seen the effects of that in the arts world, too, because while some of those kids go on to be performers in the world of art, whether it be dance, uh, 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 acting, music, or even prose, a lot of them go on to take other jobs in the arts world as well, you know, uh, because we all know that, you know, being a performer is not the only way to be in the world of music. Um, so it's had a heavy uh, impact on the arts community. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, extremely proud to say that my, my daughter... Uh, Who's named Sydney Bechet Blanchard? Uh, she's 12 years old. She went to NOCA this summer for the first time for one of the so- summer programs, and uh, she'll be starting in the fall going regularly. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And I have my son who graduated from NOCA. Wow. Yeah, he gra- yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> uh, I was about to. Uh, I was about to preface the next question by saying I want to s- step away from Katrina, but actually that um, that makes me think I've never even been to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But for me, what happened in Katrina that in my lifetime, I'm 35. That that was my moon landing. That was mm. my Second World War. Sure. That was that was the moment for me. I mean, I considered myself pretty politically aware and progressive before that moment. Mm-hmm. But at that moment, for me personally speaking. That was when the the curtains were drawn back, exactly, and the fog rolled away, and you could see what was really what. Exactly, and and that's how we all felt, you know. Because first of all, we bought into the hype of what the Constitution says that we are all created equal, you know, and we bought into the whole notion that no matter what your p- political affiliation, your race, your gender, your economic background that we all would be treated as citizens, you know, and to see the lack of, of preparedness, the lack of, of sympathy, uh, and the lack of, the lack of effectiveness once presented with a situation, um, was, was, was crushing, man. I mean, I I can't think of any other way to put it. it. It, it crushed a lot of us because we never thought that, a government would just abandon people and and allow people to suffer for five days, you know, because the thing that I kept asking myself, it, you know, as many of those helicopters that were, were were doing a great job in terms of pulling people off roofs and doing all of those things, the government could have had a helicopter to drop water and food to people. That's not a very hard thing to do. And while the president and the governor were squabbling over over jurisdiction people were dying you know uh, and it was one of our worst moments it wasn't it wasn't a brilliant moment at all and to me it's like you said it pulled back the curtain and showed the failings of humanity you know in the sense that we we tend to think that we uh, we have all of our bases covered and all of our t's crossed and all of our i's dotted and we we elect these guys to do that and they didn't uh, so what recourse do we have, you know, to to make change? And and the first thing is our vote, you know. Uh, that that was the most important thing for us. That's why we campaigned very, very heavily for some folks, you know, um, because we believe that's where we affect change immediately or or the best way we can. Because if anybody else, if you were that, I don't want to say incompetent. But if you were that ineffective in your job, you wouldn't have it. On this, uh, to, to come to back to the new record, uh, Choices, mm-hmm. um, it, you're so well known uh, for your compositional uh, work as well as your, your trumpet playing. But on this record, um, really, as on a lot of things you do, you open up space for the other people in the band yes. to contribute. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, do, why do you make that decision? Well, first of all, I think it's important for the world of art to, for, for these young men to grow, and they need to get the experience of, of writing compositions. It, for me, it's, it's let me back up. They need to have the experience of conceiving first and following that concept through to its final conclusion in terms of a finished product and see what that process is like, you know, because they're, hopefully they're going to be band leaders someday, you know. That's how I was treated when I was in our Blakey's band. 
Oh, Blakey always encouraged us to write. That was the first thing he said. He said, you guys need to write. Because he also said, which I found very interesting, was that in composition, you find yourself. You know, I would, I, I, I would be willing to guess you could ask any writer that. You know, it's one thing to think and talk about an issue. But when you actually have to commit those notes or those words to paper, and then there's a certain finality to that, you really take care in what it is that you do. And I think in that process, you start to find your identity as an artist. So I see that's what's happening with these guys. And plus, they're really great at it. <laughs> I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the bottom line. It takes a lot of work and effort away from me. I don't have to work as hard. <laughs> can, you, uh, can you talk about the, uh, the musicians you've surrounded yourself with on this record? Uh, well, all of them, like I said, I, I've been saying it for, for a number of years. I think all of them are vis- visionaries. I look at all of them as being fearless. Uh, Walter Smith is a tenor saxophonist, uh, one of the students from the Monk Institute, actually, uh, from Houston, Texas. Um, brilliant, brilliant performer. Brilliant performer. I mean, has, um, I mean, incredible facility, in- incredibly quick in terms of his improvisational skills can turn on a dime uh, and he's very inventive Kendrick Scott the drummer is probably you know, one of the most musical drummers that I've ever played with I've been saying that about him uh, uh, a lot because I, I, I really believe it to be true this guy has incredible taste uh, incredible ingenuity and knows how to how do I say it he knows how to uh, take what it is that you're doing and, and, and take the intensity of it and shape it in a way that makes you feel comfortable and helps you to further your ideas. It's, it's, it's an incredible talent to have. Derek Hodge is probably one of the, the <coughs> most talented bass players of his generation. Great composer, incredible ears. You know, I always make this joke with him, I'll slam a table. I say, okay, man, tell me what note is that? <laughs> Because, you know, when we, when we play free, doesn't matter where I go, he's right there. He's right there. And he's extremely musical in that he knows exactly when to come in and when not to come in. Like on one of the tunes, Journey, which is Kendrick's tune, some people have asked me, how did you get Derek to come in at the right moment? And I said, because I left him alone. <laughs> and I let him do his thing, man. And when you listen to the track, you know, we start playing the tune, but when he comes in on, I forgot what area of the tune, when he comes in, it's just perfect the way it set, sets up the rest of the tune, you know. Uh, Fabian Almazan is a great pianist from uh, Havana. Uh, he grew, well, he spent a number of his early years in Havana, moved to Miami when he was about 12, and um, spent the rest of his, his years here in the States. Uh, and he's still young, he's just 23 years old. But he's amazing, great pianist, great composer, extremely creative. One of the things we didn't really get a chance to do on this album, but we may get a chance to do on, on, on another album, is to just set him free and let him play and improvise on his own. You have to hear him when he does this. I mean, because he'll go in a lot of different directions, man. And what's really killing about it is that it goes in different areas every night, every night. So I, I feel very lucky to have these guys.
I spoke with uh, Carl Allen last night, who talked a lot about Art Blakey. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the things he said, and that he always carries with him, is that Art said, you know, when you uh, when you come in my band, you'll leave a better musician, but you'll also leave a better man. It's a fa- yeah. famous quote. Everybody's heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you feel like now things of the circle now is is kind of complete for you, and you're passing on some of those same lessons to the guys who you're playing. With. <laughs> Jason, I got to tell you the truth, man. I have to watch myself because, you know, I've I've uh, I, I, I catch myself saying, you know, Art Blakey taught us every time I open my mouth. Man, when I was in arts band, you know, Art Blakey used to say, <laughs> you know, and I could see the guys like, okay, here comes another one. <laughs> so I, I have to be careful, you know, because while I look at that as being a very treasured moment in my life, you know, it's we have moved on. I don't know if I've picked up the mantle. I don't know about that. I mean, I'll, I'll let the historians talk about that. For me, it's just about passing on the information that I have. And it started happening when it's another one of those things, like we were talking about the Katrina thing and becoming vocal. It, was an, it, it started happening in the same way in that I was assuming that these guys had the same experiences that I had. You know, and when I would talk to them, and I said, man, you don't, and they're like, no. And I'm like, well, you never... No. And I went, wow. So then I started realizing, okay, well, maybe I need to start conveying these stories and start telling these things that happen so this information can be passed on to the next generation. It's in many ways not even possible for people uh, in their 20s, musicians coming up in their 20s and even 30s, really, to yeah. have had the experiences you had. I mean, you rode the crest of the, the wave. Really. Well, we felt like we were, we were, we were uh, voyeurs of uh, the last part of that great uh, movement from the 60s, you know, because a lot of those guys were still around. Dizzy Gillespie, uh, uh, Joe Henderson, Miles, uh, Art Blakey, Max Roach, and we got a chance to hang out with those guys, you know, which was a real blessing for us, you know, because while hanging out with them, you know, we learned. You know, I used to be a fly on the wall, man. Art Blakey used to tell me, he says, you need to hang. He says, you got to hang with me. He says, because the guy's got to know who you are, and you need to just sit back and listen and learn. And that's exactly what I did. You know, I remember being in Paris, man. We went to see Dexter Gordon play, and then we, we were in the dressing room in the back. It's Dexter Gordon, and there's Roy Haynes, there's Art Blakey, and some other musicians. And, man, and I was just sitting there for a while, and finally somebody said, hey, Art, who's that? He said, oh, that's my trumpet player. That's Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, hey, how you doing? That's it. That's all you heard from me. Right. Yeah. The uh, the new album was recorded in New Orleans. Yes, right? yeah, yeah it's the first time I've done that. I, I'm I'm very proud of that too. Um, uh, that's part of the whole thing of of talking about the positive side of New Orleans because we recorded at the Ogden Museum, uh, which is a beautiful museum which is being renovated. It's part of that whole rebuilding of the city, um, and it has a great sound to it. So we thought it would be a great idea to record it there, bring more attention in a different way. Uh, to what's happening in in New Orleans, and hope hopefully stir up a debate, you know, about what's happening. Not the negative stuff, but more the positive things, you know. Because I don't I don't want people to think that, you know, we're we're, we're down in New Orleans with our hands up saying help us. No, there a lot of people are doing a lot of things on their own. People, uh, it, there's some amazing stories that are not being told of people who are still living in Houston and Atlanta and surrounding cities, even Little Rock. And they drive to New Orleans on the weekends to work on their homes, to rebuild them on their own, because they don't have money to hire contractors. They're doing it on their own, and then they drive back to these cities, you know, to make money and work. 
Uh, that's it's very difficult to even to even hear about. I mean, it's uh, it's a pretty stark reality. <laughs> it it is, it is, and 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 you know when you think about it, it's two thousand nine, you think about everything that this country has gone through, you know, and to go through that, and then in the middle of a recession, you know, the way things are going in this country right now, with the war. I mean, we have a lot on our plate, man. Um, but the thing is, uh, I, these people have a have a genuine spirit and love and passion for their city. You know, I'll just tell you this story that kind of typifies what's been going on in New Orleans. You know, when we started to rebuild my mom's home, um, the contractor, this young guy who was doing the work, he was doing a lot of the homes in, in my mom's neighborhood. And he told me, he said, man, you know what's interesting? He says, you know, a lot of the homes that he was working on were of elderly people. And he was telling them, he said, listen, now that your home is gutted, why don't we update it? We could we could change this. I could do this. I could put this in. We could do that. And he said 90% of the people that he told that to said, can you just make it like it was? Because people just wanted to go home. They're not trying to take advantage of the system or doing it. They just want to go home. It's just that simple. How does uh, How does music stand up in the face of all that? Or is it the only thing, one of the only things they can. I think it was one of the only things that could at the time, at that time, you know, because it, right in the aftermath of the hurricane, there were some local musicians, uh, Shannon Powell and some other guys who stayed, and they are kind of like the other set of unsung heroes, you know, like the first set of those those helicopter pilots, those guys who were just throughout the books and was flying, you know, round the clock saving people. Then the National Guard came in, you know, General Honoré and those guys did a, great, a tremendous job too. But then you had the cleanup crews coming in, and then you had the workers coming in, and you had locals who were still there. And they were seeing serious devastation every day, all day. Every day, all day. And the one thing that kept their spirits high is going out and hearing some music, and going out and feeling a bit of normalcy in the midst of all of this chaos. And I remember going home, uh, and I went to one of the clubs in the French Quarter, and uh, it was really interesting, man, because outside on the street, some of the street lights were off. They had stop signs in the middle of intersections where, they would have, where, where there used to be traffic lights. But you went in this club, and it was like everything was cool. <laughs> you know, guys were playing music, people were having a good time and enjoying themselves. Everybody was talking about what was going on, obviously, but it gave people a break. And so I think the music stood right in the face of it and said, listen, man, you're not going to break us. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine. We just have to get through this moment of insanity, but we'll, but we'll be fine. My guest is Terrence Blanchard. The new album is called Choices, and uh, it's, a, it's a distinct honor for me to, to talk with you. I really thank you for doing it. Oh, man, thank you. It's my pleasure.
That's Terrence Blanchard from his new album, Choices. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can sign up at thejazzsession.com. And if you're on Facebook, there's a group for The Jazz Session, and I give away music there, too. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. The Jazz Session is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. More information about that is available at the website. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.